0: So let's let's talk about Elul and Selichot, which was the topic that I wanted to discuss this evening. And um, obviously it's very timely. We already started Selichot. We're already in the, in the uh, second week of it, uh, pretty much, because it started, um, started last Sunday. So in the middle of the second week of Selichot. And the basis of saying Selichot during this time... Obviously, it's Elul. we coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and really, Selichot goes all the way to Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur, the Tefillah that we say is also Selichot. It's also Selichot. But what's the basis of saying Selichot at this time? Why do we say Selichot at this time? Because of uh, because the tradition is that when Moshe Rabbeinu, because remember the sin of the golden calf occurred on Shiva Asar B'Tamuz. That was on that wasn't that long ago, seventeenth of Tammuz. and when Moshe Rabbeinu went to pray for forgiveness on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he went up during the month of Elul. He went up on the beginning of Elul and he came down where Hashem forgave the Jewish people and said, Salakhti, I forgive them, on Yom Kippur. That's why Yom Kippur became the day of Selichah, day of forgiveness. And that's why starting from Elul we say Selichot because Moshe Rabbeinu all the time was praying for forgiveness for the Jewish people. And of course we repeat Hashem, Hashem, rahum which are the thirteen attributes of God's mercy, because this was revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu during this encounter, this prayer for forgiveness for the golden calf. That's where it, that's where it appears in Parashat Ki for the uh, you know for the one and only time that appears in the Torah, and it, and yet it became such a centerpiece of all of our uh, liturgy um, in terms of forgiveness. And we say it actually for Swaradim, we say it every single day. Uh, in tachanun, if you say tachanun even and, shachari, and in chad, says Hashem Hashem and On Monday and Thursday, the long tachanun that we say, has it several times, <laughs> and then Salichot of course, has it many times. So, <coughs> the 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 concept of Salichot though during this time is based on Moshe Rabbeinu going up to the mountain at that time, and also the idea of blowing the shofar. It says there that that that, that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain, they blew the shofar as if to say, you know. Last time I went up on the mountain, you really got into a lot of trouble with uh, the golden calf. This time, you know, don't make the same mistake. I'm going up on the mountain, and uh, you should be warned not to fall into the trap of idolatry again. But it's um, it's interesting that, in a way, like the paradigm of sin, that we base our whole, like our yearly repentance cycle starts in the month of Elul and goes through the end of Yom Kippur, basically. And this is based upon the sin of the golden calf in particular. The sin of the golden calf is like the ultimate sin in Jewish history, the ultimate national sin. There were plenty of other sins, uh, certainly after that, that maybe were, uh, we think of as even more terrible. I mean, there was obviously the sin of the spies, and uh, the Jewish people had no shortage of sins throughout their whole history, but the sin of the golden calf occupies a major... Uh, a, a major uh, place in uh, in terms of uh, our understanding of teshuvah, basically. Understanding of repentance, and specifically you see even here, when it comes to sabichot, it's based on Moshe Rabbeinu asking for forgiveness for the golden calf. So when you're saying, Ashem, Hashem, Hashem, that was Hashem uh, revealing His 13 attributes of mercy to Moshe as He's forgiving them, basically as a response to Moshe Rabbeinu praying for forgiveness for the golden calf in particular. <clears throat> but it goes beyond that, because On Yom Kippur, the service of Yom Kippur, in ancient times at least, not as much nowadays because we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, but in ancient times the emphasis was on the service in the Beit HaMikdash, which was a very elaborate service with these two goats. One of the goats gets driven away and over a cliff. The other one becomes a sacrifice. The Kohen Gadol does everything and he has to wear the white garments. He doesn't wear his fancy usual garments and he goes into the Kodosh HaKodoshim. All of these things that the Kohen Gadol does say, Why doesn't he wear the golden clothing And all that it says Because we don't want to remind, uh, of, be reminded of the golden calf So even on the day of Yom Kippur A lot of the idea of the, A lot of the symbolism in the service of Yom Kippur And the Bet HaMikdash Was tied to the remembrance of the sin of the golden calf It's not like uh, We just, tie, we just uh, came up with that afterwards It's a uh, it's something embedded in Yom Kippur itself, and um, and we extend that to the idea of Selichot also. That even the way that Yom Kippur was done was supposed to be a kaparab, some sort, some kind of a uh, some kind of an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. And uh, the question is, why the golden calf sin is uh, looms so large? Like there are so many other sins that people do that you would say my my sins have nothing to do with the golden calf. Why am I commemorating the golden calf when I'm? Uh, when I'm asking God to forgive me each year, I'm asking God to forgive me because I was, uh, I don't know, I uh, was lax in praying, I was, you know, I was unethical in my behavior, I was immoral, I was dishonest, I was disloyal, there are many things. If you notice in the, in the vidui that we say, the confession that we say is very general. Um, there is that long confession that we say in one of the prayers, which is the vidui gadol of Rabbeinu Nisim, which is very, very long and detailed and says every single particular sin that you might have done, like excruciating detail but uh, the general format of ashamnu bagadnu gazalnu it's very general ashamnu we were guilty bagadnu we rebelled gazalnu we stole stealing is very broad any kind of unauthorized use of somebody else's time somebody else's uh, it, it, it can be interpreted very broadly Dibarnu dofi we said bad things or false things so the whole vidui is very general but it doesn't mention anything about the golden calf nobody here worshiped the golden calf i can be almost certain sure nobody here did that and nobody most likely nobody in the synagogue around us has worshipped the golden calf so the fact that we tie see other holidays let me put it this way more simply other holidays that commemorate historical events I understand why they are a reflection of those historical events so like Pesach Pesach happened in a particular place and time in a certain way with Matzah was the theme and the Korban Pesach. All of these things are a throwback to what happened in the actual historical event. Sukkot. We make Sukkot to remember the dwelling in the wilderness. All of these things are commemorating past events. But Teshuvah is about right now. Like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is not commemorating a past event. It's saying God is the king of the universe. We are the sub- His subjects. We have been... Less than, I, less than perfect in our uh, fulfillment of our obligations, and we're trying to improve. We're trying to return to God and improve. Why are we thinking about the golden calf at this time? Nobody worshiped the golden calf in recent memory. It's not something that is... A, we're not supposed to be thinking about the past of our ancestors. We're supposed to be thinking about our own misdeeds of the past year and trying to be better, right? So why are we thinking about an event like the golden calf which is, yeah, it was a terrible sin and the Jewish people were almost destroyed, but I mean, what's the relationship between that and what we're doing? Yeah, so, so when you think about that, I think this is a very, very key uh, concept and it's, it's sort of like, you ha- it's only a, a step away to, to see why it's so significant. What really happened with the sin of the golden calf is not just a specific violation Like you think of, oh, and and even Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we get very caught up in the specific violations that we did of different laws or rules or mitzvot, and we don't think about the broad themes, even though the vidui is usually the broad themes. Like the individual violations that you did are revealing to you something more general. Like you might feel bad that you stole Okay, now, obviously, you have to re- make restitution to the person you stole from if you did that, or you might feel bad that you didn't pray enough. I'll use something between Hashe between us and Hashem. Okay, so we don't have to bring the other person in for a second. You might, or that you didn't learn enough, or that you weren't reverent enough, or respectful enough, or whatever. Okay, you weren't careful about Shabbat. You weren't careful about Kosher. You ate things you shouldn't have, right? Okay? But that specific violation is a reflection of something deeper. Than just the specific act that you did Because it says something about the values And what's important to you Like if a person's dishonest It's not just that they told a lie It's that they don't value the truth that much Okay Or they value their own advantage More than the truth That's the real issue Or if the person violates kashrut It's not that they ate that food It's that they value the pleasure of food more than a higher purpose, the higher calling that they have in eating kosher food. It's a a deeper issue than just the specific way. It's not like like you come into court and there's like 20 different counts against you like uh, in a courtroom. There's this number of misdemeanors and felonies and it's about that. It's more about who we are as people and what is of value to us. And so the golden calf is not just about that the people made a golden statue and bowed to it, even though that was obviously really bad, but it was something deeper than that. It was that they were substituting a fantasy for God. They, they were taking something not real and, 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 and using that not real thing to substitute for Hashem. And therefore... They were taking fantasy over reality. They were taking um, a, an image that made them feel good and secure over the truth. That was really the sin of the golden calf. They created an image. They could, just like if we tell ourselves lies because they make us feel better rather than facing the reality. Okay? That's in a way what they did. They knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain and they became very scared and instead of realizing that they needed to trust God who was not visible and that they had come to be too dependent on Moshe Rabbeinu who was visible and therefore they felt that he was the one giving them the security that they they sought instead of diagnosing the problem they decided to make a replacement to restore their feeling of security and comfort and to dissipate caused their fear to dissipate but it was using an illusion it wasn't real whereas the person who was able to rise up and pull themselves up and face reality is, is actually more secure than the person who buys into an illusion that just makes them feel good in the short term but that's what they did so the golden calf is not just about a specific violation that they took a piece of gold and they made it into a cow and they bowed to it It's about what is really a value to you. What do you really think is of the ultimate value? Your own feeling of security and comfort and reassurance, whether it's true or not? Or is the actual reality of Hashem more important to you? And most people create a kind of an idea of the world or an idea of Hashem that just makes them feel better whether it's true or not because facing the reality can be very intimidating whereas creating a comforting illusion is an easier road and so if you really want to be honest, and I think this is where the rabbis are, what they're pointing to or what they're zeroing in on when they talk about how every sin really comes back to the golden calf. Like the rabbis say that every punishment that happened to the Jewish people in history had some component of it. There was a punishment for the golden calf. That's what they said. So some of the commentaries say, how could that be? We didn't do the golden calf. But I think what it means is that every sin that we do has as a part of it Embracing falsehood instead of truth. In other words, in taking a substitute for God as our ultimate reality or our ultimate goal, and that cre- it's like the Chavetz Chaim said. I think I've mentioned this before, but the Chavetz Chaim said, any a person sins for that moment that they do a sin, they don't really believe in God in that moment. Meaning. If you're really aware of Hashem all the time, you would never be able to do wrong. That's why David says, I always put Hashem in front of me. Even He sometimes made mistakes, you know, because we're human. But if a person is always cognizant of the, of the truth and the reality before which they stand, so it's a lot harder to commit a sin than when you can delude yourself. It says, it says a person never sins, the only time a person sins is when foolishness enters them. Okay? They're able to forget about what's really important or create a substitute for it that makes them feel better about what they're doing rather than challenging them to, to, to reach a higher level. And so in that way, every sin that we do is kind of replacing God with something else. It's replacing God with something else. That's why the golden calf was such a terrible sin, not just because of the action, but because of what it represented. And if every sin is really a matter of replacing God with something else, then real teshuvah means placing Hashem at the center again, placing of, of our awareness and our and our, you know in our consciousness. And that's what selichot. That's why selichot starts out with a lot of confession and and reflecting on how low we've sunk. But then it goes to Shema Yisrael and Hashem Hu Elokim, that we, we declare the oneness of God and and the reality of God. God is, you know, and God is the creator. In other words, that's really the goal of Siddiquot is to bring us back to an awareness of the ultimate reality so we can live in light of that and not be in the grip of whatever illusions are normally, you know, normally uh, driving us. And I think that's the... That's the, that's the critical idea in Teshuvah. That's why whenever we talk about Teshuvah, we always say, Beshuvu el Hashem. Right? We, we never say, you'll never see in, uh, in any place in Tanakh that it says, return to the mitzvot. It doesn't actually. It doesn't say return to the mitzvot, it doesn't say return to the Torah even. It says, Beshavta ad Hashem elohecha. Return to God, Then you will listen. In other words, a person really puts... The, when the person has the right orientation to Hashem, everything else falls into place for them. But just re- focusing too much on the details and the technicalities, sometimes God uh, falls out of the picture. And, and, and we, lose a, we lose a perspective on that. And so that's why all Teshuvah is really to return, like the Rambam even says it, in, his, in the laws of Teshuvah, he says, It's Lashub Hashem. That the, the mitzvah is to return before God, meaning to have that awareness of God again. And that's why teshuvah and tefillah go together. Because what is tefillah? Standing before Hashem. What is teshuvah? Returning to the state of mind where you're standing before Hashem. They're connected. It's about that. Because when a person has that awareness, then they live differently. Did, did you want to see something? I saw... I saw, I saw. Yeah. Is that like trying to get away from Hashem in the way like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a but like I wanna hear from most like why was that so favorable and Hashem was like I love this, like it's yeah. great, but well, Mosha go ahead. Whereas like with the golden cap like why is that different? Right why is that not trying to get further away from the So that's it's a good question. In it's a, a strange thing is that if you look at if you look at those psuki Moshe Rabbeinu says he tivosher divero what they said is very good. They they are uh they're, they're, and if only they would be like this all the time, right? So if they only always had this heart, right? If they would only, you know, always you know, fear me and keep the mitzvot, this would be amazing. But Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the way the rabbis read Moshe Rabbeinu's comments, wasn't in favor of it. He thought it was a, a like, cop-out that they didn't want to hear directly from Hashem. Right? So it, it almost sounds like there's a dispute, the way that the rabbis interpret the psukim and Rashi brings it there. Rashi brings like, Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, guys, you should have said no. We insist. We want to hear from from, from Hashem. We don't want to hear from Moshe. But God himself says, wow, it's great. They, don't, they only wanted to hear from, uh, they didn't want to hear from me because they were in such reverence of God that they didn't want to hear from me. So which one is it? Hashem, Hashem and Moshe having an argument which is a good or bad right? There's, so, the, so I think the answer is that Hashem is saying look the, the reverence for Hashem that they have the sense of reverence and awe is praiseworthy but you can do one of two things with that you can either say I'm in such awe of how what is required of a person to be able to stand in the presence of god is such an incredible feat to be able to do that it's such a high standard i'm going to push myself to get to that level because i want to be able to have that experience or a person will say you know it's too much for me i'm just not going to do it right so the fact that they recognize how lofty it is to be able to have a communication directly with god is praiseworthy and that a person should realize it's not a small thing but what do you do with that recognition? Some, you know, like it's like I don't know. You see that a, an Olympic athlete. I'm using a silly analogy. Is you know how much training and how much skill goes into the Olympic athlete. So one person will say, yeah, that's very good for them, but I'm not, I'm never going to do that. Another person says, wow, I want to become like that. I'm going to have to work. I'm going to work really hard to get there. So, ha, so I think Hashem is saying to them, you're right about your view that it's really an. Not a light thing To be able to stand before God Moshe Rabbeinu is saying Yeah but that should have inspired you To want to build up to that level And maintain it Not to run away You know that's, That's the problem Now in that case What are the two mitzvot That they actually did here I am your God and not to have any other gods and in a way that kind of ties in with this directly because what is the fundamental of fundamentals of all the mitzvot? those two things the belief in one God and the rejection of idolatry everything else is a detail right everything else is a, is a you know is how you implement that in your life but basically it's all about recognition of Hashem and so I'll give you another example of this. It's very interesting. I, I like this analogy. You know, the shofar, like we said before, the shofar in the beginning of Elul was to remind the people, don't fall back into uh, doing another golden calf. Moshe Rabbein is trying to repair the first, uh, the first failing. Don't do it again. So we blow the shofar during Selichot, and also on Yom Kippur, obviously, and the, I'm sorry, in Rosh Hashanah, obviously. And so the the, the the Rambam has a very famous interpretation of the shofar, so famous that everybody practically just takes it as the meaning of the shofar without even looking for any other reason. Even though there were some commentaries that had other reasons, but like everybody brings the Rambam, that the Rambam says it's an alarm clock to wake you up. That that you know, it's as if to say, uh, you know, wake up sleepers from your sleep and your slumber. That you're involved in the nonsense of this world and the. The, the, the superficialities and, 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 and all of the fleeting things and realize what's really important and what's really significant and return to God. Like, the you know, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that's what the Rambam says. It's in Hilchot Teshuvah when he talks about the Shofar. He says... Even though we don't base our observance of any particular mitzvah On our understanding of the reason We fulfill the mitzvah because it's a mitzvah and then we try to under, But we should still try to understand what we're doing And he says it's an alarm clock to wake you up but I, I, and, he, and, he, and he says from slumber, from sleeping Now when you think about sleeping It's really a great analogy it's, it, it's really truly, I think, like the perfect analogy Because when you're sleeping In dreams, right? Things that make no sense, make sense right you ever wake up from a dream and like in the dream you were doing something that made no sense you try to explain the dream to somebody else it makes no logical sense at all but in the dream it like totally made perfect sense you know like you were you were in a place that didn't make sense with people that didn't belong there doing a the thing that was not it. you know and in the dream you didn't ask any questions it made perfect sense in the framework of the dream As soon as you wake up and you try to describe it, you feel like you're saying gibberish. It makes zero sense. You can't even explain, like, uh, any logical connection there, right? So in the same way, but this is one way that it makes a perfect analogy, but there's another way I'll tell you in a second. The first way that I think it's such a good analogy is because that's how the person lives who's living prior to the shofar. We do a lot of things that don't really make any sense, right? They don't... We, we live in a way that's not really consistent with our values. A lot of times, we'll do A and we'll do B, and we don't realize that they don't, they're totally contradictory to each other. They don't fit together. They're not compatible. But one of them is, is pro the values that we believe in, and another one is not. And we, you know, like a person cheats in their business, and then on the other side, they're uh, eating blood kosher food. So that it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. But we'll accept, because we're under an illusion... We're in a we're in a fantasy world. We're not really thinking in everything that we do about Hashem. We're not really thinking that. We're not really in touch with the reality. So we're able to craft an alternate reality, like a dream, and an alternate reality of a dream. Things that don't go together suddenly fit and makes perfect sense. and don't ask any questions, and that's exactly what happens in the life of the per- of all of us the rest of the year. And the shofar is saying, wake up for a second and, and analyze. Does this make any sense? Or does it only make sense in a dream? Because what makes sense in a dream doesn't make sense in the light of reality, right? That's, that's the first point. But there's another point to it, which is, what disturbs sleep? The outside world disturbs it, doesn't it? Like, if, the, if there's a noise outside, if there's somebody, you know, r- running around, if there's too much light the outside reality disturbs you doesn't allow us to indulge in the enjoyment of a dream because it impinges on us in fact one of the really interesting things about dreams actually the first person to point out was Freud to point point this out is that dreams he said dreams are the guardians of sleep he said, he said, many people think dreams disturb sleep. You'd be better off without dreams. So no, it's the opposite. It's the guardian of sleep because you'll notice that a lot of times external stimuli that, you, that are going on in the room where you're sleeping will make them wet their way into the dream. And they'll become part of the dream. And it's like there could be a sound going on in your environment where you're sleeping and it will become part of your dream. And only when the sound becomes really, really, really exacerbated, all of a sudden you wake up. And you realize, oh, that sound was from the outside and my dream took it and made it into a part of the dream. So the outside reality is always trying to shatter our dreams and our dreams are trying to absorb and deflect as much of the outside reality as possible. Right? And that's the same way with the illusions we live in our lives. The illusions that we live in our lives, we try to shield them from any reality test so that we can cling to them as long as possible. But what the shofar is telling you is you have to wake up, meaning you have to expose your illusions to the light of reality and evaluate them and see, do they really make sense? Do they really fit? Are they really compatible with the values and the ideals that I profess in theory? That's what the shofar is doing. I just think it's such a beautiful analogy because a dream is like an alternate reality. It's an illusion that feels real, okay? that within itself seems to make perfect sense but when it's exposed to the outside the outside is the enemy of the the external reality is the enemy of the illusion and so we're trying to guard our, to keep our illusions away from reality because we, and to keep ourselves away from reality because we don't want up, to upend those, those great illusions that are so wonderful but, but, but when the reality gets in it's like Moshe Rabbeinu coming down from the mountain and finding us worshipping the golden calf what seemed, everyone was partying and they were having an amazing time you know, until Moshe Rabbeinu came down and said, "What is this?" You know, all of a sudden the external reality comes in, and everybody doesn't know what to do. And Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is supposed to be taking those illusions that we allow ourselves the rest of the year and holding them up to scrutiny, basically the same way that post-dream wakefulness allows us to assess whether what we saw and experienced in our sleep really made any sense. And, and I think it's a, it's a really great analogy to what Teshuvah is. Holding up the way we live our life to scrutiny, basically. To the scrutiny of of, higher, of a higher reality. And so I see that they're all like congregating and waiting for us to go. But I think this is a, it's a great... Um, but the, the main point is that all sins ultimately go back to a type of idolatry, which is a, 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 the adoption of a reality... Uh, or uh, of an illusion as reality, taking certain illusions as real, because they fit with the way that we want to live our lives, instead of asking whether the way we want to live our lives is really compatible with the truth that we can see with our minds and with our, you know, w- w- with our with our study of Torah. That's why really the end it, and that's why it all comes back. It's like the golden calf in that way. It's al- always like the golden calf. What are the golden calves that are allowing us to? Continuing the lifestyle that we that we have, so Bezuad Hashem, will continue next week. I see that they're 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 getting they're. Coming.